Osiris. Across the Margin, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes of the online magazine and deeper into the stories. I'm your host, Michael Shields, and today we feature an interview with an extremely gifted director and producer in Stephen Cantor, with the focus of the episode being on a soon-to-be-released film entitled Between Me and My Mind, a documentary which provides an in-depth look at the life and career of fish frontman Trey Anastasio. Stephen Cantor is the co-founder of the New York City-based independent production company Stick Figure Productions that is focused on creating compelling character-driven stories. Listing all of Steve's diverse and impressive film credits uh, could honestly fill almost this entire episode, but I do want to highlight a few um, of his notable films that really affected me, such as his first film, which is uh, called Blood Ties, The Life and Work of Sally Mann. This one's about the notorious uh, photographer, Sally Mann, and uh, he received an Oscar nomination for this one. Um, Definitely check that out. Many of you might be familiar with his uh, ESPN 30 for 30 episode entitled Chasing Tyson. That got a lot of play out there. That's about Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. Um, Or you might know his PBS American Masters film, Willie Nelson, Still Is Still Moving which was nominated for an Emmy for producing and directing. He has also produced and directed a film about the reunion of the Pixies called Loud, Quiet, Loud. And Stephen was nominated for two Emmys for HBO's I Am an Animal about Peter founder Ingrid Newkirk. Uh, As I said, I can go on and on. um, But it's important to note that Stephen's films are um, as captivating and insightful as they are plentiful and diverse. I highly recommend digging into his catalog of work, just as I couldn't recommend more seeing his latest, the aforementioned Between Me and My Mind, which uh, I had the privilege of seeing recently at at its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. So I know many out there have yet to see Between Me and My Mind, which is slated to theaters nationwide on July 17th for a one-night-only special event. But I believe this episode and interview with Stephen acts as the perfect primer for the documentary, an opportunity to learn more about the scope of the project, gain some added context and insight into its crafting, and to learn more about the genesis of Between Me and My Mind. I believe Fish fans will be delighted to hear about Stephen's working relationship and now thriving friendship with Trey, and how he became enamored with and was in awe of Trey's prolific creativity and his massive heart as a... I know many of us are, and I know I am. Um, but Between Me and My Mind isn't just for Fish fans, as Trey's story and his often challenging journey resonates on a deeply human level. And this documentary is brimming with love, loss, laughter, hurt, deep reflection, 
and uh, and it offers a fascinating behind-the-scenes look um, at the creative process of a virtuoso and a modern-day rock and roll legend. So um, it's really it's incredible. I'm so excited for everyone to get a chance to see it here in a few weeks. Um, but before we dive in to this interview, just a reminder that Across the Margin of Podcast is part of the Osiris Media Group. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com to check on the diverse array of podcasts they offer. That's OsirisPod.com. While you're there, um, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter. It gives you, you know, you'll get updates on everything they got going on. And since we are um, talking about fish today, I'd like to point you real quick towards a slew of informative and fun fish podcasts that Osiris presents. There's Under the Scales, hosted by fish lyricist Tom Marshall, where Tom interviews band members and fascinating people within the fish community. And on multiple, multiple occasions, he has treated listeners to an analysis of his own lyrics and creative process. That's uh, It's just an outstanding podcast. I'm sure if you like fish, you've already dug in. If not, check it out. There is also the Helping Friendly podcast, where hosts and fish aficionados RJB, Jonathan Hart, and Matt Dwyer analyze and discuss the music of fish. Um, right now, Fish's uh, 2019 summer tour is in full swing, and so what they've been doing is they have um, little mini episodes. They're called quick hits that kind of come out right after after the show the next day. That kind of dissect and analyze the grandeur and intricacies of each and every show. Those are tons of fun. Um, there's also female centrics where host Donaby and friends discuss all things fish from a woman's point of view. Um, there's also Beyond the Pond, a podcast hosted by two fish fans and Brian Brinkman and Dave Goldstein that uh, introduce listeners to a vast array of bands and artists starting with specific pieces of fish improvisation. So there's a lot of discovery there. I've uh, come upon some albums um, myself that uh, I'm really taken with that they put me on. So thanks, guys. And then there is the Daily Soundcheck, hosted by Mike Lawn Memo Menio, where Mike brings you every fish soundcheck um, where their audio does exist. Uh, some of these soundchecks are just absolutely jaw-dropping, and Mike does a good job adding context to uh, the time period and everything like that. I, I, those, those are um, it, they're awesome. So check out all those podcasts, if inclined. Uh, Osiris has fish on lock. But um, let's get into it. Here is my interview with director and producer Stephen Cantor about his latest film, Between Me and My Mind. So uh, thank you again, uh, first off, for this, um, this wonderful film. It's uh, one that is touching, deeply informative, and it, it means a lot to uh, all us fish fans, so we love it. And thank you for taking the time today to talk about it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, <laughs> great. So uh, I am curious about the, the genesis of the film. From what I gather, um, you weren't really a fish fan uh, three years ago when this whole journey began, and knew little about him and his solo band. What um, compelled you initially to make this documentary? My business partner, Jamie Schutz, and the producer of the film, mm-hmm. is a huge fish fan. Yep. And not that I'm not a fish fan. I mean, I'm just, you know, not a fan, but not yeah. that I like him or anything. 
Yep. Okay, so he's he's all in. Die Hard fan. He's he's in the yeah he's in the crowd. Absolutely. So he was kind of letting you know that there was a whole lot here uh, that's worth investigating. Or he's, he's been saying that for a while, and he's the one who reached out to Red Light Management, Trey's management company, and lured Trey into a meeting in our office. And then in the meeting, we sort of told him what our what our process was for making films, and told him that it would be more about capturing his creative process and then we didn't want to really delve into you know we're not looking to rake mud or anything like that we really just wanted to understand who he is as a creative person and musician and yeah. I think he was taken by that approach and mm-hmm. what we expected to be a one hour meeting turned out to be a four hour meeting and wow. he, basically, he basically never left <laughs> so that was two years ago and we've been in, in deep with him ever since that's fantastic. I was, um, I'm curious about the uh, focus of the film because I know um, at the uh, when when it was premiered at Tribeca, you talked about how um, the idea originally was kind of like showing the fans something we haven't seen—the making of the donuts. I think you said, and uh, but this film does it, it touches on a lot of different things. I mean, um, you know, Trey's family's brought up in recounting his journey about over the years. Obviously, um, you know, his friend Chris, Chris's sickness and his passing is a big part of it. And, you know, him shopping around what was turned out to be that big um, Soul Planet New Year's gag. So uh, when he first set out, you know, what was kind of hope, the hope for the focus for the film to be? I think our focus on this one was similar to, I think we have a, an approach that we apply to every film we undertake, which is, trying to find some kind of present day narrative that we can follow and that's sort of the tree trunk yeah. of the film mm-hmm. and then everything else his past and his childhood and other bands and other work whatever become kind of branches off the tree but you gotta have some present day storyline so in this case we kind of had a dual tree trunk it was teaching his his bandmates and fish the New Year song Soul Planet mm-hmm. he kind of created that song and went around to each of their houses and taught them and then they played in Madison Square Garden and they're big there's a big gag on New Year's Eve oh yeah all fish camp though oh yeah so that was one through line and the other one was the making of his new album which I think was increasingly became a deeply personal and mm-hmm. intimate album for him compared to a lot of his other work and so in making that I think he wanted to take stock of where he was in life and relationships with his wife and his mother and father kids and bandmates and friends and I think Chris who was his lifelong best friend is being very sick and ultimately dying definitely was weighing on heavily throughout the film yeah absolutely he, he, he does appear to be at um, like a turning point in his life right now one where he is um, you know deeply uh, reflective and it's in that way it kind of feels like an ideal time to tell a story and worked out real well in that that fashion I think that's actually very true yep it was um, a perfect perfect kind of mid-career inflection point or something yeah so um, uh, he started yeah. off when he was in college I mean again most dishmans probably know yeah, stuff, sure. but when he was in college he always thought he was going to be a classical musician yeah be a rock star yep and he was just this fish this band called Fish that was just fun playing in bars and he didn't ever expect it to turn into what it did and 
35 years later, he's like, huh, so that, you know, that train sure left the station. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that ambition... I think that ambition to be a classic or, you know, thinking that he would be a classical, um, you know, guitarist um, kind of what is part of what makes him so special. He recently did a New York Times um, interview where he mentioned that one of the songs that Fish loves in Divide Sky is more like more West Side Story than it is, you know, typical rock songs. And that's it just fashions him yeah. with such a different person, different breed, different rock star. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so I heard you had full access pretty much to... Uh, Trey for this and um, you know I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit and and also I was curious if it took him a little while to warm up or how he was around the cameras because I mean there are as we've alluded to already some really deeply personal moments that the camera and you and um, Jamie or I'm not sure but I mean are there for so how was that? I think any reluctance that he felt was at the very beginning before he committed Mm-hmm. I think there was definitely a part of him that was like, my life is perfect right now. Fish is killing it. Tap is killing it. My yep. family's great. I'm successful. What on earth would I need to open myself up to a documentary for? I yeah. think there was a lot of that sort of thinking prior to making the commitment to go for it. And once he decided he did want to go for it and wanted to share his process and his life on film, he was fully on board. And um, actually, he took to having cameras around better than most. Oh, wow. But just I think one of the first things we shot was that conversation with his mother. Yeah. I think one of the most intimate scenes we have, I mean, he was like blissfully unaware of the cameras or made it feel that way. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It, show, it shows. I mean, just you do get these intimate moments and they feel, um, and they are authentic, which is really it's credit to what you did to him giving over to the process and, and that combination. That's so, so cool. I know I saw a quote of yours that uh, mentioned how, you know, it's uh, when you get in and, and you start working on, on the docs that you do, you know, it's so important to care about the subject and you know, obviously, the more passion you have, the, the higher the art that comes from it. But uh, I'm assuming you took um, pretty fast to Trey. I'm curious your first impressions and, and kind of, you know, that this. it seems like this turned out to be a subject you did care about a bunch. Yeah, I mean, first of all, in making the film, I got more exposed to Fish's music than I had been before. So I now, you know, I now respect and love them as a band. Oh, cool. As an individual performer, more than I did going in. Mm-hmm. Secondly, yeah, I mean, I think the film is, in my mind, exploding with this creativity and joy and love that I've rarely seen on film or on, you know, or in person. And that is a tribute to Trey, not a tribute to me. The guy is just, mm-hmm. just rare, unbelievably positive, encouraging, excited. Yeah wakes up every day loving his life mm-hmm. just one of the guys that gets infectious to be around that yeah. on top screen any person so yeah we got to be very good friends awesome there was like an element of we're flying fly on the wall and not interfering and things we're shooting and also an element of Trey and I speak you know at least an hour a day every single day oh my, ring. my wife would say oh work husband <laughs> That's amazing. And it's also, I mean, 
he's, it seems, and a lot of us are noticing just this is such a prolific, um, you know, create, creativity-wise moment in time for him. I mean, with the Ghost in the Forest, he just had that big Halloween where they uh, did a Cat's Vot, Vot's, um, you know, put out, basically essentially put out another album. He's, really, he's just flowing with creativity, and, and, and you know, you got, gave us some good insight on that, which was really wonderful. Yeah, and I want to ask about the um, band interaction uh, from your viewpoint. There's a scene where uh, the band's kind of, I think they're eating together at a table, and they seem to be kind of almost speaking their own language. It was it was kind of wild to see their uh, dynamic together behind the scenes. We don't get a lot of that um, as, as Fish fans. I was curious uh, what you could say about that dynamic when the, when the four of them got together. Yeah, I, mean, I think they're, they're you know, that's the way it seems. It's because they've been together for 35 years yeah. and they've been through it all together. Wives and ex-wives and kids and new sets of kids and not trade cases. Same wife, same kids. Yeah. Yeah, and they've been through it all. Yeah. Ups and downs of career and so, and there's a lot of love there when you're around them. I mean, I've been around other bands. I mean, it's not about the Pixies. The Pixies, you know, go back to and do not talk to each other. Yeah. That really warms my heart, and that's that was the feeling I got. It was just it was wild to see the four of them together, and like I said, it really was like they were speaking their own language. Um, just want to speak a little bit about Trey's time with Chris that was captured in the film. Um, you know, we did see the, the final some of the final days. I think was he playing to him? Was that two days before his passing when that that really intimate, intense scene where he's um, playing guitar to him? That was right near the end, right? That had to be wild. It was really, really intense to be around uh, all that. Yeah, that was basically Trey going to visit him right before he died and ushering him into heaven with his guitar. Un- 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 unbelievable. That really that affected me deeply, and I'm sure it's going to affect a lot of people. Um, this is something I'm just personally uh, very curious about. Um, concerning a 13-night run that took place at MSG... Um, known as the Baker's Dozen. Um, that took place in 2017, and this film has a lot of 2017 in it. Um, there's this kind of a specific lens that starts in 2017 with, you know, the build-up to Soul Planet. Um, kind of wondering if... I'm not exactly sure. When did you start filming? or was, was, um, did, Were you filming already during the Baker's Dozen, or did this come directly after it? Um, I was just surprised not to see anything about it in it, given the time frame. Or maybe even wondering if there is a. Oh, we did actually. The, the opening scene of the film is is putting together the list of the Baker's dozen. Oh, that's right. That's what he's doing in that in that first scene where he's yeah. making coffee. Okay. Yeah. So, so you were bored yeah, for that whole. The Baker's dozen. And he does talk about the Baker's dozen. He does say the goal is to play thirteen acts without yeah. any repeat. Yeah. Most bands play the same song over and over again. Yeah. So yeah, so, you were you were uh, uh, you know kind of there for that whole ride too. Then then the yeah, filming. Yeah. There's a lot of performance from Baker's dozen. Okay. I, I figured I figured there uh, might be that might be might be more to that. So one um, of the early conversations we had was we could just make the whole film about the Baker's dozen, like thirteen shows in a row without any repeats. Yeah. Crazy, but that sounds like a wonderful idea as well. <laughs> I remember I said it at the 
time, I was like, ah, you know, like I kind of know how that film ends. Like, yeah. you do it, you pull it off, you play 13 shows. Like, what are we talking about? Like, Definitely. This is this is a far deeper and more um, you know introspective look, and, and there's a lot of reflection on the whole career, not just the moment in time, which is really special. Let me ask you: I'm a fan of um, your work uh, beyond this film. Uh, have been for a while. Dancer is amazing. Obviously, um, you mentioned the Pixies film, Lied Loud, Quiet Loud. What's next for you? I think I saw you have a film called What Will Become of Us. Is that this year as well? Yeah, that's another film that premiered at Tribeca. It's about the founder of Westfield Malls. His name is Frank Lowy. Mm-hmm. He is 87 years old, and he's a real icon, philanthropist, billionaire in Australia right now. And just sold, in fact, in the course of the film, sells Westfield for $33 billion. Mm-hmm. And the film is really about he takes a trip back when he was about 20, he made his way to Australia and never looked back on his life. And, and he does look back, but he realizes at age 13, he was living in Slovakia and he was facing anti-Semitism and fled his town to get to Budapest. And then pretty much as soon as he got to Budapest, the Nazis came in, his father disappeared. He never knew what happened to his father. Wow. The war ended, he became a refugee and was on this crazy refugee ship trying to get to Palestine, which he heard was gonna be a safe haven for Jews. Mm-hmm. He got diverted to a labor camp in Cyprus and spent six months there and finally made his way to Palestine and was immediately conscripted into the army where he fought as a commando in the Arab-Israeli war and almost died you know, multiple times through the years. And at the end of the war, turned 18. So from 13 to 18, that's what he went through. Just unbelievable. That's nuts. And, and um, what's Unschooled? That's something you're working on too, right? Uh, unschooled, yeah. The, executive producing that that's a film made by a company that we work with called Wavelengths mm-hmm. and it's about a guy in Philadelphia who is working with underprivileged troubled students taking them out of school and trying to get them to discover their passions and interests outside of a scholastic that looks fascinating yeah I love it I mean not only do you give us I mean you know you work in rock docs and all that but you do a lot of important work as well which is really really cool a really really big fan of what you do but um, I would like to uh, thank you on behalf of all fish fans for this behind the scenes look like I've already said we we um we don't always get this and, and have it in this way and we we're all really looking at it as a, as a as a gift it's it's something that you know it's a it's a fitting tribute to Trey and to Fish and it's so special so thank you for uh, thank you for bringing this thing to life for us thanks one of my favorite things I read about it so far actually was written by Vogue on Vogue.com mm-hmm. by Fishwife who said that this is the first time she finally understands her husband's obsession with the band absolutely I was thinking I this love is, reading that yeah, yep yeah. I was thinking the same thing I mean I've been misunderstood uh for years, personally, a lot of fish fans have for just being kind of obsessed with this whole thing, and and I think this gives uh, other people a wonderful window into what we what we love about this man and this band. So that's like again, thank you for that. Make me feel really great if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I can't see. I can't wait to see it again. Uh, the seventeenth. That's a big day where this uh, drops for everyone across. Is it across the nation? Seventeenth. Yep. 500 theaters July 17th fantastic we're gonna be rocking that um hey so thank you again for the film and thank you for making the time today I really appreciate you discussing it and helping us uh, get the word out about it and everything okay no problem thanks Mike awesome thank you Steve
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.